how our lives are being filled with ups and downs, with joys and with sorrows. Yet when we look back, we see and have again been confirmed that you are good. You are the only good one in this universe from whom all good flows. You are the Holy One, the three times Holy One. And you are our Creator and our Redeemer. You know the past to its very minutest detail and you know our future. And that is why we commend ourselves into your, into your hands, into your care, into your keeping. We thank thee for your goodness. We thank thee for, our, for thy grace. We thank thee for your salvation. And we thank thee now for your word. Please bless it to us as we would look into it. And unto thee be all the honor, glory, and praise through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. <clears throat> With the Lord's help, I'd like to continue because this is really the pinnacle of the Beatitudes. We've gone through the Beatitudes throughout this year, which Jesus spoke to the multitudes in Matthew chapter 5. So I'd like to read the first <clears throat> nine verses one more time to remind us, but we'll focus on verse 9. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. May the Lord bless his word, and let's all bow for a prayer. Let's bow down and worship the Lord together. Lord, at the beginning of this brand new year, we have come together to invite your presence, your power, your spirit to direct our paths. Lord, it stretches before us like unbroken snow. And yet, when we look back, we see much, much that we're thankful for, much that we wish had not happened. And so, Father, we, as we look forward to this year, we pray that we would step forward in faith, independence upon your direction and strength and that we may be able to make straight paths that would glorify you that would build up your kingdom that would make us something that you would hold up to the watching heavenly realm and say this is my beloved daughter my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Father, we pray that these attitudes, that we would not leave them behind in the independence, pride, and arrogance of this day and age, but Lord, that we would learn to hunger and thirst and, and to seek peace, not only within, but without, and that we would work to build, to join, to create even as you have created and that we would be agents of your kingdom to spread it through not only words but through being and action and reflection of your character father we pray that you would inspire the brother who would be 
teaching and meet his needs also. Lord, you know the many who are unable to be here this morning due to the weakness of their bodies. We pray for strength, encouragement, and healing for each one of them. And Father, we pray for those who are yet resisting, Lord, that they would resist no longer, that they would recognize that the time is at hand, that time is flowing away so quick, and we see the end coming, whether in a personal level or a global level, we know that it is short. And today, while it's called the day of salvation, we need to, to lay hold on eternal life. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you recall, the book of Matthew, chapter 5, at least the Beatitudes, introduces what does a kingdom child look like? What is the character of a kingdom child, one that is in the kingdom of God? If you look at the very first beatitude in verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, not will be, but theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They possess the kingdom of heaven. Someone that is that poor in spirit can become so rich by possessing the kingdom of heaven. Remember, if you, we had a study not long ago of Matthew chapter 6 when, when Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. But the kingdom of God is in you. And so those that are poor in spirit possess the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And those that have this, this, this poverty of spirit that they not only believe but recognize and acknowledge that they are so spiritually poor that they have nothing to offer God. They have nothing to give God for him to give us in return salvation and acceptance into his kingdom. If you go to the book of Matthew, uh, Luke, you will see that they don't even mention, Jesus did not even mention poor in spirit. He said, blessed are the poor. So even the poor can become poor in spirit as well. Especially when they realize they cannot even provide for themselves physically, let alone spiritually. And those that recognize their abject poverty will then reach out to God and recognize that God is the giver of everything. He's the provider. He's Jehovah Jireh, the provider. And when they realize that they have a deficit in them that they cannot fill, they mourn. We mourn. Let's put it that way. Let's include, be inclusive here. We mourn because of our situation. Not only for someone that is seeking God, but even those that are in the kingdom, they realize, we realize, that our attitude needs to be such that what we see, what we observe, what we experience cannot just be shaken off indifferently. Ha, 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 I'm going on. I don't care about life's problems. I'm going to have a good time. No, we mourn to realize that life is a serious matter. It's a serious issue. And if I'm going to make it in this life, if I'm going to make it not only in this life, but after this life, I need to take life seriously. And I do care about what happens to, not only to myself, but to my fellow man. Whether 
my fellow man is lost in sin, or whether my fellow man is injured in a car crash, or whether my fellow man has some kind of a disease, that we feel with them, we feel their pain, we pray for them, we seek in which way can we help out. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. <laughs> they inherit the earth, not just the heaven. God is really, as we sing in our hymns in the Zion Sharp, though we walk on our earth, our homelands in heaven, even being on this earth, we can feel victorious. We can feel um, that we are on the winning team, if you will. And we should not be afraid of what happens on this earth. As we will see in this beatitude on peacemakers, that when there is war and when there is conflict, when there is difficulties, that we don't run from them, but we face it head on. Not with our power, not with our strength, not with our wisdom, but with the power, strength and the wisdom of God. So when we get to verse 5, blessed are the meek, it is now not just an internal, um, personal attitude that I need to have, what what I go through, what I think, how I feel, what my disposition is, what my attitude is. When we get to verse 5, it's being meek is how we deal with those that are outside of us. When we are attacked, when we are falsely accused, when we are uh, abused, when we are cheated, when we are betrayed, when we are lied to, how, what is the Christian attitude and response to that? And then all, it's all, you can see how it's all percolating. I wouldn't say percolating, percolating goes down. It's all rising to this seventh beatitude in verse 9 that we just read about blessed are the peacemakers, and we'll get to that in a second. And then verse 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And we remember that it's not just a matter of, I love the word of God. That's true. That's hungering and thirsting after the, word, the righteousness. But it's more than that. It's actually doing and practicing the word of God. It's, it's following his commands, following the directions of Jesus Christ. It's visiting the sick, it's visiting the poor, giving to the poor, feeding the, 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 the hungry and clothing the naked, visiting those that are in prison. This is all the works of righteousness that Jesus will one day say, Come ye blessed of my Father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you. And then it's, Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And he's not saying, although it, it applies, he's not saying, because you obtain mercy from me, you will be, I will be merciful to you. That's part of it. That's, a, that's before entering the kingdom. But when you're in the kingdom, how do we manifest mercy? How do we manifest this graciousness that Jesus Christ is talking about as kingdom children? It's in our interrelationships with each other. It's with our, what we do with our money, with our time. Where does it go? Does it feed the hungry? Does it, does it clothe the naked? Does it help the poor? And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And again, it doesn't mean in, in, the, in the near, in the next life. It can mean that. But what it really means is, I believe here, that they will see God in the, new, in the next life, but they see God here on this earth. Those that love God, those that believe in God, those that, that value what he did for us on the cross, they see God everywhere in creation. They see God in, the, in their brother and in their sister. 
They see God in, in our suffering. They see God. When people say, where was God? When Jesus, his son, was crucified. Paul the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 5, which we had not long ago, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. And God feels our pain, he feels our suffering. Then we come to blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. There will, be, there will come a day in, in glory when, as the Apostle John says in 1 John chapter 3, Blessed are behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. We are called the sons of God now. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We will be sons of God as Jesus is. Transformed, glorified. With a new body. With a new surrounding there's no more pain or sorrow. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he, Christ, is pure. So what does it mean when Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You notice he didn't say, Blessed are those that love peace or the peace lovers. Everybody loves peace. Just leave me alone. Let me be at peace. It's natural to hate war and conflict. But the fact is that we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world where when men and women are fallen, we are broken. Our relationships are broken. That's what Jesus is getting at. When the relationships are broken on this planet, on this, in this world, how can we as believers, as Christians, be peacemakers? Not observers, not critics, not saying, oh, look at that family, look, look how dysfunctional they are. But how can we be used to make peace? If you really stand back and think about it, perhaps this is the most difficult to uphold this, this beautiful attitude is perhaps the most difficult to uphold as believers. What do you do when there is conflict, when you see conflict, when you're part of the conflict, how do we behave? Where do we go for answers? Many of us may say, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I, I'm running from it. This is the way I can hold the peace. What peace? They're at war. You don't maintain the peace between them By you avoiding it, what you're trying to do is avoid any inconvenience to yourself, any disruption to your life and to my life. But Jesus said, don't be a peace, don't just be a peace lover, if I can put it that way, put it that way. Don't just be a peace lover. Be a peacemaker. You know when Jesus came to this earth though he didn't condemn any man he didn't come into the world to condemn the human race as it says in John chapter 3 
For the Son of Man didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. Yet he said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And father shall be turned against mother, and husband against wife, and child against parents. They'll be turned against each other. It's not peace at any cost. Peace without truth and without love is not peace. It's just a ceasefire. It's just a cold war. And the world is, is so aware of that today. The so-called peace that was generated because of what happened in the USSR, Perestroika, Glasnost. And there was agreements, nuclear disarmament. There was no shelling of each other between the USSR and, 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 and Russia and, and the USA and the West. But there was this constant, if you will, still a cold war. Not as cold as it used to be, but it's there. What happened? Where did it go? Last uh, week, Brother Edmund had a service on, on the, the difficulties. Even now, he's about speaking about the Messiah program and, and Joel and, the, and, and the, the, the struggles that we have. I believe he was in 2 Corinthians. And what came to my mind was what, what Leo Tolstoy said. He was involved in this war back before the, the Bolshevik revolution in Russia. And he started writing. First of all, he went to war. He was very dissatisfied. He lived a very promiscuous life. His parents died at a young age. And he thought he could live it up. And then someone instructed him to go to, to enter the army, to straighten him out. And he entered the army, and he was involved in the Crimean War. And he saw bloodshed and, and, and a catastrophic loss of life. He went to Paris, and he saw, for the first time, a man guillotined. And he began to think, this is not what this life is all about. Ironically, he wrote the, probably the biggest book written novel, War and Peace, over a thousand pages. War and Peace. And in, he, in that he, dis, he described the horrific events of the war, of war. But as he looked further and further into his life and into the Bible, into the word of God, he realized, he realized the value, the beauty of the Beatitudes. And he wrote a book called The Kingdom of God is Within You. And Brother Edmund, as we stepped down from the pulpit, he said, I read that book. And in it, he describes the Nazarenes, how they refused to take up arms, as they refused to take guns to kill the enemy. Because that was against the teachings of this very chapter in Matthew chapter 5. And I said, oh yes, I remember that. And it says, the Serbian, it says, and I'm not putting up, lifting the Serbians, but this is what he found out. He says, the Nazarenes of Serbia are the example to follow when it comes to war. Not taking a gun. Non-resistance. And the Hungarians followed, and, and, and the Romanians, and, and the Nazarenes were known as not just pacifists, but willing to die for their faith in prisons for three years at a time. Three, six, nine, twelve, some more that were imprisoned because they refused to kill 
the enemy, which is not their enemy. God said, love your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you. And he went further. He sold everything that he had. He was going to give everything to the poor. He lived like a poor man. Now he had some things in his life which were not exemplary as far as a Christian is concerned. But my point is this. When it all boils down, if you want to go the way of the world and to go according and dance to their philosophies and to their music, you'll end up in complete self-destruction. But when you follow the wisdom of the stranger from Galilee, Jesus Christ, Mahatma Gandhi was a young lawyer. He was a young man that wanted to get independence from Britain in around about 1948. It was achieved. But when he read this book from Tolstoy, The Kingdom of God, he wrote as a young Gandhi, he wrote to Leo Tolstoy, says, what can I do? What should I do in India to get independence from the British? How do I do this? The answer came back, don't shed blood. Don't shed blood. And uh, I've mentioned this perhaps a couple of times, an example, when Gandhi came back from, it, from South Africa studying his law, and he went into the churches in South Africa because they were Dutch and English reformed. And he learned the Beatitudes and he came back and he said, and he saw the British were so-called Christians. He said, I love your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Why? Because they didn't follow the teachings of their Christ. And there was a time when the British came with their mighty steeds and their armaments, the rifles and the guns and the bayonets. And they came to, to infiltrate the, the Indians. That the Indians laid down across the road. They laid down on their backs across the road where the horses were coming. And when the horses came to them, they dare not stand on a human being. And they stopped. That even the beasts of God knew the sacredness of a human life. How can I be a peacemaker? Just by reading about it? Reading inspirational stories? That, that could help. But we can't be peacemakers unless we ourselves are at peace. How can I show other people to be at peace when I myself am not at peace. What advice can I give that person? Romans 5.1 says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 talks about Jesus Christ having made peace through the blood of his cross. We can receive the peace of God by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, by accepting his gospel story, by believing in our hearts that he has been crucified and risen from the dead. And by confessing with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Being justified by faith, we have peace. There's no more conflict. There's no more opposition to God. But peace is not just the absence of conflict. This is something that we need to understand. 
As long as I don't have conflict, I'm at peace. What happened with the Russian uh, peace accord? How many peace accords have been broken since the beginning of the world? Every single one of them. It's not just the absence of a conflict. Peace is not just the absence of conflict. Peace is the presence of something. It's the presence of right relationships between me and my brother, between me and God, between me and my brother. When we have right relationships, and that relationship must be filled with love, trust, truth, when we have that relationship, then, as David said in Psalm 51, then I will show transgressors thy ways. I love watching some of these testimonies on the internet. I love seeing from different countries, you know, it's Iran. We just had an Iranian couple over on, on the weekend. We told them about a testimony that we heard about how these Muslims came to Jesus Christ. One yesterday that popped up was, was a young man. And he said, with tears in his eyes, when I was a young lad, my parents got into big arguments and they filed for divorce and they had the divorce papers in their hand and they were going to sign the divorce papers and the pastor came over to their place and the pastor said, give me your divorce papers. And they gave it to him. He took a lighter and he, he he lit the divorce papers and he burnt them up. And he said, you can't do this. There's so much at stake. This is not God's will. Think about your family. Long story short, this young man said, you know what? My parents have been happily married for 35 years. They are now in children's missions. I now have two or three sisters and brothers which I would never would have had. It's the devil. The devil is telling you, take the easy way out. Take the shortcut. You're not meant to have any suffering. You're not meant to have any pain in this world. If God was real, he'd just give you pleasure, not pain and suffering. That's their idea of who God should be. Jesus said, we need to be peacemakers. We need to be engaged as much as we could in making peace. I'm not saying to pry into people's personal information and, and intervene, intervene uh, uh, in, in brash ways into somebody's relationship. That's not what I'm saying. But where we can offer help and assistance to those that are going through difficult situations, where we can promote peace, There is a uh, proverb if I can find it. Proverbs 12, 20. Proverbs 12, 20. Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil. 
But the counselors of peace is joy. And if you look at the different translations of that, that verse, it reads like, Deceit is in the heart of them that plan for evil or imagine evil, but to the promoters of peace, to the, those that plan peace, those that purpose peace, there is joy. In other words, we as kingdom children, when we see there's something that is wrong, yes, we need to be a brother's keeper. We need to care for them. When there, is, there seems to be no way out, when someone wants to sign a divorce paper, when someone wants to leave the family or whatever it is because the relationship has been quote-unquote broken. Are we promoting peace? What's been happening in America in the last five, six years, presidential elections? Black Lives Matter, the woke movement, all these movements that are rallying and demonstrating and militating the way the country should go, does that promote peace? Or is that inciting civil war? At least Gandhi had that right. You're not going to win by insisting on your rights and fighting for them. How does, how does Jesus transition from verse 8 to verse 9? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And then he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You remember in, in James, you've heard this before, says the wisdom from above, the wisdom of God is first pure. And then peaceable. If our hearts are not pure. Remember what we talked about, the, the impure heart, what it is? It's, an, it's a divided heart. It's got divided loyalties. It's got divided allegiances. It thinks one thing and does another thing. It does things for its own benefit while trying to portray it's trying to do something for somebody else's benefit. That's hypocrisy. Jesus said, accept your righteousness in the same chapter. Accept your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. You shall in no wise enter the kingdom of God. Our hearts need to be pure. They cannot be divided. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We need to have pure hearts. And then we can be peacemakers. We can be peacemakers in another way, not just coming to bring two parties together. When an occasion comes along and you have to have your say, or you, your, your right must be fulfilled, this is my right. We're not peacemakers. We're not seeing how we can solve the problem. We're not seeing what is good for the common good. How will it affect everything else? How will it affect your children? How does a divorce help the little ones and perpetuate brokenness in relationships? How does that solve anything? You know what it does? It satisfies your own passions and lusts, your own pride. That's what James chapter 4 says. From whence comes fight to believers? From whence does fightings and wars come? Don't they come from your own lusts? Do you care about the church of God? Do you care about what God thinks of what you're doing, what I'm doing? How does that conjure? 
peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. I, I looked up, there's about 429 verses of peace, of the word peace in the Bible. And about 105 are in the New Testament and the rest in the Old Testament. The Old Testament has a lot to say about peace. And the Hebrew Greek for, for, for peace is what? Shalom. We all know that, right? Shalom. And when we say shalom in, in Hebrew, or the Hebrew, the Jew says to his brother or rabbi, shalom. He just doesn't say, I don't have any fights with you. I don't have any conflicts with you. But that word shalom is a desire for the prosperity and well-being and enjoyment of life to, the, to his brother or to his rabbi. It's an active thing. It's active. It's not a passive thing. As long as I don't get involved with you, I'm at peace. It's wanting the best for each other. It's like love. Love rejoices not in evil or iniquity, but it rejoices in the success and the prosperity of your brother and sister. You, you, you are thankful when you see your brother or sister that has it better than you. You are thankful to God that God has blessed that person this much. In your eyes, he's got it better than you. Oh, I wish I had that brother's looks or that sister's looks. Oh, I wish I had that brother's money or that sister's money. I wish I could be like... That is, that is, going, that is going to quickly and spirally, exponentially drag you into not happiness and blessedness. But depression and despair when you keep on wanting to be someone that God didn't make you to be. As Paul says, I have in all situations, Philippians, learned therewith to be content. And you know what? The, this is why the whole word of God is so coherent, so together, when he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive, which he told the Apostle Paul, I believe. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So when we are trying to be peacemakers, not creators of, or uh, uh, that destroyers of peace, but we are trying to be peacemakers, we receive the joy. You receive more by being a peacemaker, more joy, more blissful happiness than you do by being a peace lover. That's the promise of God. That's why, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, is at the pinnacle of that step up. Remember, the, this, this whole, ish, this whole uh, beatitudes were like steps that go higher and higher and higher and higher in God's kingdom. You must have them all at once, but some have more significance. And being a peacemaker is something that God values perhaps the most. The next verse, chapter on 510, says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. If you can't be a peacemaker, and I can't be a peacemaker, with my brother and sister in the church. How are we going to respond and react when we get attacks from the outside for our faith? If I can't resolve my problems and conflicts with my brother and sister, 
How am I going to respond when the enemies, your true enemies, attack you? I want to close with Psalm 55. This one, I don't know, sometimes you think David had it coming to him. But Psalm 55, this is David complaining about what has happened to him. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Because the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Run away from all your problems, run away from people. Because they are constantly against you, accusing you, and so forth. Lo, then I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and and tempest. And then he says, destroy, O Lord. Destroy and divide their tongue. For I have seen violence and strife in that city. In the city. Who was he talking about? Was he talking about the Philistines? Was he talking about these other Perizzites and Hittites? He was talking about people in his own city. Wickedness is in the midst of thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from a street. For it was not an enemy that reproached me. It wasn't an enemy from without. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it, he, neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, O man, mine equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together, and we walked unto the house of God in company. What grieves us is when our own people, when we have conflicts amongst our own people, in our own families, in the ones that are supposed to love us, in the ones that are supposed to understand us. There is violence in the city because there's violence in the people of the city. And there's violence in the people of a city because there's violence in the heart of men. And when the heart becomes pure, we can do wonders through God's grace and God's power and God's strength to be that example of peacemaking and show the way that Jesus led and how we can impact this world, our neighbours, our families, our associates. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. Will the brother please. I remember, I think it was this prayer that one of our Sunday school children many, many, many years ago sang maybe different words, but this was a prayer that was attributed to Sir Francis of Assisi end of the uh, 12th century. Make me a channel of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me bring your love. Where there is injury, your pardon, Lord. And where there's doubt, true faith in you. O Master, grant that I may never seek so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love with all my soul. Make me a channel of your peace.
Today is January the 1st, 2023. Will you, will I, make a decision? You can call it a resolution. Make a decision to be instruments of God's peace. Will we be the first ones to make a move when there is conflict between us and others? Will we be the first ones to confess our side or contribution to the conflict, to the disagreement? Will we think on what Jesus did for us? Will we think that Jesus, even though he had every right to remain in heaven and every right to maintain the glory he had with God, yet in Philippians 2 said he became in the fashion of a man. He came and dwelt with us. And left all his glory. He who was rich became poor for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Are we willing to forgive one another? Even as Jesus was dying on the cross. And as he was being raised up and hanging on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That goes a long way in us being peacemakers. Are we willing to forgive as God who for Christ's sake Ephesians 4 says forgave us? How will we face the Father on that day if we haven't done as the scripture says all that was within our power to maintain and create peace. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.